I'm not afraid to tell you that this book made me very emotional. Um, you know when someone explains a feeling and you have so well that it comes as almost a relief that you're not the only one who feels that way? That's basically what Shoe Dog did to me upon rereading this. Um, this book explains so much of what I've been trying to tell osteopaths for years. And now that I think about it, I think that this book is one of the reasons why OsteoHustle even exists in the first place. Anyway, um, not only is Shoe Dog filled to the brim with practical advice and unbelievable amounts of experience that every osteopath can definitely benefit from reading, it's also packed with um, permission to give and to think about what kind of career you want and then go hell for leather to go and get it because why not uh, so chew dog is written by phil knight who is the founder of nike chew dog gives you permission to plan build and grow your dream career that you want in your life because phil says whether you like it or not life is a game play it Welcome back to Behind the Osteopath. My name is Alan Zayer. I'm an osteopath. As you know, I'm the founder and uh, CEO of OsteoHustle, where we plan, build, and grow dream careers for osteopaths. We have 85 followers and 23 reviews of the podcast, and thank you so much, because I'm absolutely stoked that we're getting this level of support. And we're nearing the end of season one, and I've decided that if I'm going to continue this podcast and you know, as you know, it must create a stir in the osteopathic community. So I'm going to give you a challenge. In order for me to come back and do another series, we need 100 followers and 30 reviews. And that means 15 more followers and seven more reviews. So if you could please follow and rate it five stars, that would be amazing. Thank you so much to everybody who's already left a review and obviously follows. It means more to me than what you will ever know to think that you find value in what I'm doing. I really appreciate it, especially as I'm, you know, sticking my neck out, trying to talk about the hard things and hoping to create a positive change for you and, of course, our profession. So, as you know, Behind the Osteopath is based on my belief that you should never open a clinic without fully understanding what it takes. And a part of that means I'm covering 10 books I believe every osteopath should read. Shoe Dog is book eight in the series, and I fir first read this book back in 2019, and of, of course reread it again for this podcast. And now that I think about it, Osteo Hustle started in September 2019, so this book definitely had a huge impact in the beginnings of Osteo Hustle, and that, that's fun to think about. <laughs> um, okay, so with Shoe Dog, it's Phil Knight's memoir. All right, so the the lessons that I'm going to cover don't necessarily happen in order as they do in the book. So please do read this for yourself. It's a crack and read. And um, oh, and while this book is geared towards owning a practice, there's advice related to associates too. So don't um, don't click off if you're an associate. And the, and the last thing is that um, it's Nike, not Nike. Even Phil Knight said said that it's Nike um, as much as I as much as I hate it. But there you go. I'm going to say Nike. All right. So uh, let's dive into lesson one. So lesson one is don't settle for a job. Seek a calling. So we've, we've all heard that Mark Twain quote who says, find a job you enjoy doing and you will never have to work a day in your life. 
And luckily for most of us, we enjoy being osteopaths, right? But what's clear in my experience is that a lot of osteopaths aren't happy with how they are being an osteopath in the sense of most osteopaths that I've spoken to and have worked with have never thought about why they're doing what they're doing. And they ultimately end up feeling like they're not meeting their own potential. So that's what I mean by that. And some questions to surface from that are, you know, why are you a clinic owner? Why are you an associate? Why did you hire that associate? Why did you join that practice? Why did you start the practice in the first place? Um, what do you really care about and want from your career? And, and why is that? You know, these are essential questions to ask yourself because the answers give you a very deep sense of purpose, meaning, fulfillment, and in my opinion, most importantly, direction. And Phil says, and before I say this quote, this is bracketed for those, even though he says that it's bracketed for those in their 20s, but I'm going to challenge every one of you, regardless of your age, to consider this. He says, I'd tell men and women in their mid-20s not to settle for a job or a profession or even a career. Seek a calling. Even if you don't know what that means, seek it. If you're following your calling, the fatigue will be easier to bear, the disappointments will be fuel, the highs will act like nothing you've ever felt before. And here's the truth. Some people say that osteopathy is limited in its career opportunities. You know, how can you, and, and that you can basically only be an associate or a clinic owner. And while I do see the truth in that, in terms of what what you can do as an associate or clinic owner is far broader than what you think. So here's my challenge to you, right? What you can do as an osteopath is way more than what you think, even though it is kind of confined within the realm of being an associate and being a clinic owner on the general grand scheme of things. And I want to give you proof of this. Okay, so in late 2022, Louise Prattley and myself co-founded the Making Waves Summit. And the Making Waves Summit was a celebration to those in osteopathy who were doing things differently. And we had over 20 osteopaths speak at this virtual event. And I want to tell you about some of them. We had Gemma Fisher, who's not just a clinic owner, but she's the first human performance consultant osteopath within Formula One. We had Arthur Kotze, who's been an associate all over the world and wanted to provide a centralized place for osteopaths to easily find their ideal associate and associateship. So he created a website, which is called OsteoJobs, which, as you can imagine, is a platform for osteopaths to post their jobs and find jobs as well. We had Chris and Mandy Bell, who wanted to pair their passion for traveling with osteopathy. So they created the Outback Osteopaths. They bought a van and lived in it for three years full time, traveling and practicing osteopathy across the entirety of Australia, in particular, the most rural Outback communities who needed it most. We've then got Louise Prattley herself. You know, she spoke about being a part of the team who launched a clinic franchising business called Osteo and Physio, who at the time of recording, I found out, have eight practices across the UK. 
And just within OsteoHustle, you know, I run this company full time. And let me tell you about some of the osteopaths who have who who we have working at OsteoHustle HQ. So we've got Andrew Terry. He's a clinic owner in London. He's a clinic tutor, osteopathic skills lecturer, and business lecturer, all at the LSO, the London School of Osteopathy. And he he is our senior business coach. We've got Jen Nash. She's an associate in London, but she's also our branding expert at OsteoHustle. And she also runs her own branding agency called Figure Out Creative. All of these osteopaths are following their calling, whether it be full-time or part-time. And of course, it can take you time to figure out. And of course, it can change and, you know, has plenty of variabilities to do with what you can actually do in terms of, um, you know, being, a, being um, you know, dedicating yourself something part-time versus full-time. But you can use it. You can use your calling to do incredible things and unlock so many doors using that piece of paper that we call a degree. So pair that piece of paper that you that we call a degree with your calling and go and make big things happen. So what's your calling? What's your big plan? What do you want to do with your career? What legacy do you want to have? And of course, if you need help, please send me an email. My email is in the description and just have the subject liners calling and we'll have a chat with each other. Lesson two, find what you believe in and talk about it. So when it comes to finding what you believe in, the key is to challenge yourself to really sit down and ask yourself, what does osteopathy and being an osteopath mean to me? So there are dozens and dozens of shoe companies and there are hundreds and hundreds of osteopathic practices. What makes you different? It's what you believe in. And believe me, it's all about making people feel something. Okay. So I want you to start talking about what you believe in with your patients. Start with that sentence. I believe in, and then you can fill in the rest. Make it the core of your branding. Make it the core of your marketing messages, your entire patient experience, how you speak to your patients. And I promise you, it will make your business succeed because you're making people feel something. So Phil says, driving back to Portland, I'd puzzle over my sudden success at selling. I'd been unable to sell encyclopedias and I despised it to boot. I'd been slightly better at selling mutual funds, but I felt dead inside. So why was selling shoes so different? Because I realized it wasn't selling. I believed in running. I believed that if people got out and ran a few miles every day, the world would be a better place. And I believed these shoes were better for people to run in. People sensing my belief wanted some of that belief for themselves. Belief, I decided, you know, belief is irresistible. Okay. And as long as you're staying within the advertising standards of your country, there really is no limit to what you believe and what you can put out into the world. Phil says, 
you only get a few chances to start something crazy. And if you're young and don't have much to lose, it's best to go for broke. And to end this second lesson, I'd like to share this. So when doing a bit of external research on Phil Knight, because I was really interested in him um, as a person in general beyond the book, I found a video from Simon Sinek, who's also featured on the podcast. And here's what Simon had to say that encapsulates what I'm trying to express perfectly. And I want you to really pay attention to this. Phil Knight's way of talking about Nike was truly inspiring. He once shared a memorable story at a large conference where he asked the audience to stand if they had ever run for exercise. Most of the room stood up. Then he asked those who ran at least once a week to remain standing. Most of the room sat down. He continued asking those who were still standing, of those of you who run twice a week to stay standing, and so on and so on, until those who ran three times a week, rain or shine, regardless of weather or temperature, and of course, only a few remained standing. Looking at them, he delivered a powerful message. The next time you're out there before the sun is up, it's dark, cold and wet, and you're running by yourself, we are the ones standing under the lamppost cheering you on. This story encapsulates the essence of Nike's ethos, where just do it is not about winning, but about trying and doing. Nike at its best celebrates those who do, not just the ones who win. Lesson three is about knowing when to quit, but don't ever stop. So Phil says, those who urge entrepreneurs to never give up, charlatans. Sometimes you have to give up. Sometimes knowing when to give up, when to try something else is genius. Giving up doesn't mean stopping. Don't ever stop. And there are a few different ways that you can think about this lesson, but I want to try it from a different angle for you and give you just some experience, some of my experience. So one of our coaching clients runs three practices and they said that they can't run all three all at once. And of course, I'm not going to mention any specific details here, but after looking at everything to do with each of the three businesses, we, as in myself and, and Andrew Terry, suggested that they should close what I'll call practice C because of multiple reasons that can be summarized as by quitting practice C, you can give so much more to practice A and B. Now, this is obviously devastating news to this practice owner, this multi-practice owner. And they said that before we had started working together, that closing one of the clinics was probably the right choice. And that they were already starting to think about that decision already, but they, they just couldn't bring themselves to do it. Whether it be a logical or an emotional reason, they just couldn't face themselves to doing it. You know, they they just couldn't quit. And, um, you know, of course they were determined to try and make everything work, right? And I want to tell you that while we're still in the early stages of phasing out practice C, so that that is going to phase out, you know, over a period of time, after the decision 
was made again it was emotional i, d I, I don't want to you know take away from that but this practice owner quickly started to feel more in control as we'd given them a plan to restructure and grow the other two practices and the point being is that knowing when to quit is genius and knowing when to quit means taking calculated risks as we know from what i've just spoken about with this three practice clinic owner um, coaching client of ours and i, I want to briefly talk about calculated risks because it's an it, it's something that you should always look to develop. It's a fantastic skill to have, whether you're an associate or a practice owner, especially if you're aspiring to become a practice owner. Really dive into this idea of calculated risks, and I, I don't want to just make my little two cents worth about it right now. So calculated risks are not blind leaps of faith into the unknown. Of course they're not. They are. They kind of involve a careful evaluation of three different potentials. So you've got potential outcomes, which is thinking of all that could happen as a result of making that calculated risk. The second is potential benefits, which is thinking about all the positive factors and then all the potential drawbacks. So thinking of all the negative factors. So I'll, I'll give those three again, potential outcomes, potential benefits and potential drawbacks. And taking a calculated risk means making smart, informed decisions that have a reasonable chance of success, even though the outcome may not be guaranteed. And so, for example, this could be whether you should leave your associateship, expand your practice, hire a practitioner, moving locations, working in a different country entirely or a different location. Um, thinking of letting an associate go because you know that does have to happen from time to time um, or obviously hiring a coach to help you take things to the next level or start a new venture you know a, a new part of your a new chapter of your, of your career so I hope that understanding a little bit more about some of these um, what well, the, the example that I gave to you about about this person who ultimately is phasing out one of their three practices and understanding a little bit more about calculated risks. I hope that that's helpful. So lesson four from Phil Knight is hard work leads to more luck. So this is the idea that luck may determine an outcome, but the harder you work, the better your luck. Now, this is something that comes up time and time again throughout all these different books that I'm reading and have read over the years. So even though it's quite self-explanatory, it's fair to say that this lesson is so common amongst people who have gone on to do amazing things. And this is the same with um, with osteopaths as well. As what we discussed in previous um, episodes, that it's important to make sure that you're not just working hard without working smart. You know, you've if you just keep working hard... Some, or being told that you just have to keep working hard, you end up feeling like you have no direction and you're just like, I'm just working hard for the sake of working hard and I'm not actually getting anywhere. And that's why you've got to work smart as well. But ultimately, working hard is an essential part of the kind of success formula, so to speak, even though I hate that phrase. So Phil says, luck plays a big role. Yes, I'd like to publicly announce the power of luck 
athletes get lucky, poets get lucky, businesses get lucky, but hard work is critical. A good team is essential. Brains and determination are invaluable, but luck ultimately may decide the outcome. So I'm going to leave that lesson there and just say that we talk about luck a lot in, uh, in episode nine. So go and listen after this. Lesson five, get a complimentary mentor and partner. So here, Phil basically highlights the importance of seeking out mentors who can provide guidance and support for whatever it is that you're aspiring to achieve. Um, he also talks about uh, the value of finding a business partner who complements your strengths and shares your vision. So the idea being here that together, mentorship and a partnership can help you overcome challenges and obviously achieve your goals and the things you want to achieve. So in the book, Phil's mentor was a fellow called Bill Bowerman. Now, Bill was Phil's track and field coach at the University of Oregon. He basically helped Phil, Phil develop his passion for running. And then later he helped evolve the design and the quality of the running shoes that would become the foundation of Nike. So, and so much so that Bill went on to become the founder of Nike, right? So not only was he a mentor, but then he ended up becoming a partner. And for the majority of you, you know, this is going to become, uh, you know, two separate people in terms of you'll have a mentor, maybe you'll have several mentors, but then, you know, they'll probably be different from your from your partner that you're going into business with. Um, and the underlying message here is that they both shared the same passion for running and the same vision for bringing something new to the market. And this is one of the biggest lessons that I can give you from this podcast in general, from these 10 books, is to find your mentors. And if you're considering opening up a practice, please think about doing it with a partner. Again, go and listen to episode nine about discovering your unfair advantage. It talks We talk a lot about um, the benefits of having a partner and, and even if that means delaying your opening, then it's definitely worth doing. So lesson six, forgetting about the competition. This is nice and short, but this, this one is not really a lesson, it's more of a practice. Because I think it's something that a lot of us, you know, I, I struggle with it less over the years because I've really tried to embrace this as much as possible. So I don't really struggle with this as much anymore. Um, but I, I used to when I was uh, running a practice and in the very early days when my, my ego, you know, got the better of me in a, in a lot of times. Um, so you need to remind yourself of this the next time you're worried about your competition even better, make them an ally, approach them, you know, make friends with them, break down the barrier, um, you know, icebreakers, get to know them and things, I, I promise you, things will be better for it. But just in case you can't make them an ally, here's what Phil says. I thought back on my running career at Oregon. I'd competed with and against men far better, faster, and more physically gifted. Many were future Olympians. And yet I'd trained myself to forget this unhappy fact. People reflexively 
assume that competition is always a good thing, that it always brings out the best in people, but that's only true of people who can forget the competition. The art of competing I'd learn, learned from track was the art of forgetting, and now I reminded myself of that fact. You must forget your limits, you must forget your doubts, you must forget your pain and your past, and you must forget your competition. Whenever I'm talking to um, final year students, for example, and the question inevitably comes up of, you know, I want to be able to start a practice eventually, where should I set up the practice? And, you know, the lead on question to that is, should I basically try and find a space of my own or should I try and, you know, start my practice in a um, a competitive area? And this is where I I basically go through with them and tell them about how it's important to, of course, make make a community over competition. That's a really strong thing, a place for you to start and have that mentality. But also is that, and this is more of a lesson from Martin Neumeyer, who is basically the, the, the godfather of the branding world. He says, when it comes to building a business, you need to forget about um, being better. It's about being different and how can you do things differently and that really resonates with me and so what's really important is a great way for you to be able to uh, forget about your competition is by making them not your competition and this is how I've been able to um, let this go of this idea that I have competition over, over the last two three years is that you could argue that there are people out there who I mean you it's not as if you can argue, it's, it's, it's a fact. There are people out there who, on the outsider perspective, do the same thing as we do. So um, you've got people in the UK who help osteopaths, um, who aren't osteopaths themselves, but, you know, they help osteopaths. You've got people here in Australia who, uh, you know, physiotherapists and chiropractors and podiatrists, for example, this happens in the UK, of course, as well, but they also, apparently, you know, they, they do the same thing as we do. And I know within this business that I call OsteoHustle, we do things differently and they do things differently. And that is what is so beautiful about being able to shop around and find the right person to work with for you. Make sure that you shop around and really figure out what those people's values are, what it is they're doing, what is it that they bring to the table that's different from everybody else. And you will find the right mentor to be able to help you uh, with whatever it is that you want to achieve and that's the way that i want you to go about this with you know being an associate or um owning your own practices create community instead of competition that's that that's your first default and then when you can't focus on being different and that will allow you to forget about your competition in the first place all right then we've got the last lesson uh, which is lesson seven, let people surprise you. The final lesson is really interesting one for me because as someone who started Osteo Hustle by myself and now have a great team around me, I will be the first to admit in the beginning, it was hard to think that they could ever do something as well as I could. And of course, <laughs> obviously how wrong I was. And this is the same for all clinic owners with associates. I'm telling you right now that the people that you work with will have fantastic no-brainer ideas that will improve your practice. And in my experience, associates often bring ideas to the table that they either 
don't that either don't get addressed or they're ignored or they get told that it goes against the way that things are done you know th this is how things are done around here um basically and you know this isn't this isn't common thankfully but basically shove your idea you know this is how we do things around here and this could be something as simple as saying that for example that the, the treatment catch hasn't has been needing a service, right? And it's not being prioritized or addressed. Or that there's a great opportunity over at the local sports club to develop a business-to-business -business relationship, right? And your associates will have weird, wacky, and wonderful ideas, I promise you. And I absolutely, I, I cannot express this enough. I implore you, please hear them out. Because even though it might seem out of field for you, um, just embrace it and think about it and go, um, and do what Phil says, which he basically says, don't tell people how to do things. Let them do their thing. Encourage everyone to be themselves. Let them surprise you with their results. I want you to please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast so we can hit our goal of bringing on season two. In summary, Shoe Dog is an extremely inspirational. It's really close to me, to be honest. It brings out a lot of feelings and i really hope that you read it for yourself and it brings those feelings to you as well it gives you permission to just just do it <laughs> you know um and if you if you please you know if, if you'd like to share your thoughts or experiences with me please use the q a section um if you're on your phone tap on the episode scroll down you'll see the q a section there or you can email me which my email is in the description Thank you for listening to Behind the Osteopath. Please sit down and ask yourself what you want from your career. It will be the best thing you've done for yourself in ages. I will uh, see you next week for book nine. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss as soon as it comes out. Cheers.